0: 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 to 10. 1 John 1 verse 5 to 10. And the theme or the title for this evening's message Professing Christians and the real McCoy. So by professing Christians I mean people who say they're Christians but they're not. And then the real McCoy obviously refers to true Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come again to your word this evening, break it open. Open our hearts. Plow our hearts as a farmer plows the soil. Sow the seed of the word into our hearts. Make it germinate. Let it grow. Let it bear fruit with perseverance. Thirtyfold. Sixty-fold and a hundredfold multiply the fruit in our lives, that the Father may be glorified in us. Amen. Now 80 percent of South Africa, the people in South Africa, profess to be Christian. And in spite of that, in spite of that, many of those very people who profess to be Christians steal. they thieves. They drunkards, they murder the unborn, they corrupt. They worship their ancestors and they deny that Genesis 1 to 3 is history. Rather they believe in evolution. So who is the real McCoy? Who is the true Christian and who, who just professes to be a Christian but is not? And how do you discern? How do you discern this? How do you distinguish between the two? And it's very important to know the answer because the answer to that question has eternal consequences. So let us listen to 1 John 1 verse 5 to 10. This is the message that we have heard from him He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Number one, five statements. Statement number one, true Christians know God, and that's in verse five. So it's possible for a child not to know his earthly father. He doesn't know who his daddy is spiritually that's not possible it's not possible every true christian every christian knows god and i'm not just talking about head knowledge i'm talking about a personal knowledge i'm talking about an intimate knowledge this is the message we have heard verse 5 from him proclaim to you god is light and then chapter 2 verse 13 and we know that that's the message we have heard Chapter 2, verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then verse end of verse 13, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. 2, verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. We know God. How do we know God? Well, we don't know him from our own ideas. We don't know him because of the ideas of men or angels. We believe the words that Jesus spoke to his apostles and that he gave the apostles to write down in the bible verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him what was the message that jesus gave well verse 5 says god is light and in him is no darkness at all what does that mean It means god is pure god is holy god is glorious god is full of majesty god is brilliant god is bright There's no temple in the New Jerusalem because God is the temple. There's no need of sun or moon because God is the light and the Lamb is the lamp. God is pure light. God is pure. So I think what he's trying to say also is no one can see God in his essence because he dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6.16 So that is why Jesus had to become man. Jesus became man to reveal God's glory, God's light to us. Christ is the light of the world. Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Christ is the light of life that came into the world. And even then, even then, that is too much for mortal man. Because if we see the brightness of Christ, Even as a human, when he displays God's glory, people fall on their faces. They fall down down like dead people. They go blind for three days. We are sinners. God is morally perfect. There is no darkness in him. God is light. There is no darkness in him. Even the sun has spots. The holiest people on earth had sin. They were sinners. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied about his wife. Moses lost his temper. Job challenged God. Paul parted ways and had a fallout with Barnabas. Not even the heavens are pure in God's sight. Job 15 verse 15. So even the sinless believers in heaven, they no, they no longer have sin, but even the sinless believers in heaven, even the angels, they fall on their faces before God and worship Him. Even the flaming seraphim, these heavenly beings, they cover their faces. They cannot behold the brightness of God's glory in all its fullness. Isaiah 6 verse 2. And that was Jesus' message to the apostles. This is the message we have heard from him. That was John's message to his readers. This is the message we proclaim to you, and that's my message to you this evening. This is the message. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And I think it's because people don't have a grasp of their truth. We don't understand the truth as we ought that is why many people call themselves christians even though they have no relationship with god so jesus is a part of their life yes but he's only a part of their life jesus isn't their life jesus isn't essential to them if if the government decides tomorrow christianity is illegal they'll easily join the other side and they'll just they'll they'll live in comfort and ease just as easily with or without jesus it doesn't matter and what's the reason? Because they see Jesus as a crutch. Jesus is the crutch that needs to help them when they're going through difficult times. But they don't really believe that they need Him. And why do they not think they, be- they need Jesus? It's because they measure themselves against other people. They've got these, these rules. And when externally they look fine, then they think they are fine. But they don't see themselves as God sees them. They don't understand verse 5. God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. When God, with His flaming eyes, looks into your soul, He gazes through your soul, He pierces your heart, then He sees not only, oh, externally you look fine, no, He sees your crooked motives, and He sees your evil desires, and He sees your impure thoughts. And what should God do about that? Should He just sweep it under the rug, and just ignore it, just as like the government ignores corrupt people in our country? Second statement. Professing Christians live in sin. And that's in verse 6. So churches that do not practice church discipline, what you find in such churches is people start living as they please. So it doesn't matter, you can live with your girlfriend, you can be homosexual or whatever else, um, and you're corrupt and you're a liar they don't mind and what happens then is people start thinking of themselves as christians even if they're not but it's the false christian who lives in sin verse six if we say we have fellowship with him and while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth so this is the kind of person who says i'm a christian but verse 6 says he's living in the darkness of sin. He's living in sin. And the truth of God's word is not in him. He's not practicing the truth of the word. Well, maybe in front of other people he lives like a Christian and he knows the right words to use and he can speak Christianity. But in the darkness of the night and behind closed doors and in the secrecy of his own heart and motives, and thoughts, he's living in sin. Verse 6, he's walking in darkness. So professing Christians are hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They look, they look very nice in front of other people. But they walk in darkness. They're dishonest. They're thieves. they liars. they flatterers. They smooth, they sly, they snakes and foxes. So that's the way they live where no one sees them. And so, in order to hide the sin in their heart, they do not want to come into the light. They avoid, as far as possible, real Christians and then obviously run away from the government and from justice that will eventually catch up with them. Jesus said. That they love the darkness and do not come to the light, so that their deeds will not be exposed. And these are the kinds of people, some of them even go so far, they change their addresses, change phone numbers. Some of them even change their names. I know of a guy who is so crooked and is such a liar and has deceived and cheated so many people that he literally went and changed his name. And they do that because they want to hide in darkness and do not want to come into the light. So you see the the wicked runs where no one pursues. So if you're like that, if you don't live an open life and you hide things, well, then you don't have a relationship with God even though you say you do. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. God is light. God does not have a relationship with darkness. Verse 5, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. So if you're that kind of person, then you are a child of darkness. You're a child of Satan. Your life is a lie. You are living a lie. And so you can can say this as long as you like. You can say, I'm a gay Christian. I'm a transgender Christian. Or whatever other sin. Many other sins. You are deceiving yourself. Verse 6, you do not practice the truth. You can tell other people you're a Christian, but you're not. Statement number three, true Christians live uprightly. They live sincerely, verse 7. So Judas faked friendship. He made as if he was a friend of Jesus, but he betrayed him. Just like Henry Phillips, who lived in the 1500s. He acted acted as if he were a friend of William Tyndale, the Bible translator, But he wasn't, he faked it, and then he handed him over to the authorities. And eventually Tyndale was killed. So many, many people, many people profess to be Christians, but they do it for all the wrong reasons. They do it in order to justify themselves, because they want to to tell their consciences, quiet, don't worry, you're a Christian. They do it because they want to steal money and get money from people. They do it because they want to be accepted, they do it because of peer pressure, they do it because they want a girlfriend, or they've met someone, and the person is a Christian, and they're interested in them, and so on and so forth. Real Christians aren't like that. Real Christians live in the light. Verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Real Christians are open, they are sincere, they are upright, they have integrity, they are honest. They've got pure motives. They're holy. They're obedient. They're filled with love and they're filled with good works. That's what it means to walk in the light. Chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Isaiah 2, verse 5 says, walk in the light. Do good works, says Matthew 5. And that's the way we shine our lights. John 3, verse 21 says, our deeds are carried out in God. That's the way we live in the light. By sharing the gospel with others, we take the, the light to them, and all that is good and true and pure is the fruit of light. Let me read that to you in Ephesians 5, verse 9. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So the Christian's life, and that kind of life he lives in the light, it shows he knows God. He knows the God of light. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Verse 5, God is light. So we know him. We have a relationship with him. It says we have fellowship with him. Verse 7. <clears throat> so he's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the kingdom of light. He's shone his light into our hearts. Jesus is the light of the world. We follow the light. But how can even a true Christian have a relationship with God if verse 5 says there's no darkness at all? And should, would we dare to say we, we have no darkness in us, no more sin? Well, then you're a liar, verse 8 and verse 10 tell us. So how can we have fellowship with God in verse 7? Yes, we're walking in the light, but, but we still have darkness. Well, verse 7 tells you, second part, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus cleanses us from the darkness so that we are now able to live in the light. And that has implication that has implications for this whole matter of professing Christians and true Christians. So the professing Christian, he tries in himself, he tries to be a better person. I'm going to make myself a better person. But the true Christian knows I cannot make myself a better person. I will ask the Father to accept Jesus, His life, and His death in my place. The true Christian believes in the true Jesus of Scripture, He rejects the Jesus of the cults, He rejects the Jesus of false religions. He believes Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 7, the blood of Jesus, His Son. He believes Jesus is equal to the Father. Jesus is the eternal life. He is eternal life. Verse 2, chapter 5, verse 20, He is the true God. He reveals the Father. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The true Christian believes that the blood of Jesus shows that Jesus was a real man and that he really died. Verse 7, the blood of Jesus. Spirits don't have blood. The blood of Jesus, meaning his death, he bled to death. He was a real man. If you deny that, you're the Antichrist. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 tell us. When Jesus died, he was pierced with a sword with a lance, with a spear, and water and blood came out. He really died, and he was a real man. The true Christian believes that he has fellowship with the Father and the Son. Verse 7 says, we have fellowship with one another. Verse 3 tells you it's with the Father and the Son. And when it says, and the Son, then the true Christian knows that means Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive. You cannot have fellowship with dead people. He's alive. He's alive. He stood up literally, historically, and bodily. The true Christian believes that the death of Jesus is sufficient. It's enough to remove all sin, to cleanse us from all sin. And it can cleanse us from all sin without anything we do, without anything we add to it, without anything we contribute to say, now I've contributed something, now you should forgive me. Verse 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And all sin, all sin, it includes your sinful nature, sinful words and deeds and emotions, desires, your thoughts, your sinful past, present, future, sins you're not aware of, all sin. Verse 7 says that, all sin. The true Christian believes God can give to us a clean record and a clean heart through the life and death of Jesus Christ and in the light of these truths the true christian lives a sincere life but he is not like the false christian who believes oh i can earn god's favor by being sincere no the true christian knows a sincere life is the outflow of something else it's the outflow of a changed heart he knows My only hope, my only hope is the blood of Jesus, verse 7. It's not my sincere life that earns favor with God. It's Jesus who earns God's favor for me. Number four, fourth statement, professing Christians deny their sin. That's in verse 8 and verse 10. So the false Christian, he denies that he is a sinner, and he denies that he has done sin. Verse 8 says, he says he has no sin. Verse 10 says, he has not sinned. So he denies that he's a sinner, and he denies that he has done sin. He's committed sin. Now maybe you think, that's an exaggeration, John. Who says that? Where, Where do false Christians say we have no sin and we haven't sinned? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, then you're going to say, oh, goodness. I can see it very clearly. John is absolutely right. So, so a man came to our Bible study, and in the line of modern psychology, he said, man is born neutral, he's not a sinner. Hmm, that sounds like verse 8, saying we have no sin. When we do street evangelism, and i found this often, i found a number of times people saying that they haven't broken God's law. I can even run, run them through the Ten Commandments, and they haven't broken that. And then I say, are you sinless? And they say, yes. Are you perfect? Yes. Without blinking an eye or making a joke. I shared the gospel with a lady once, and like many other Afrikaans people, she said to me, yes, I know I'm not perfect, but it's not as if I'm a bad sinner. A man who was living in sexual immorality said, it's not as if I am wicked or evil. And then there's even, even some among the holiness movements, who think that Christians can become sinless in this life? So they don't believe 1 John 1, verse eight and verse 10. Or all people will acknowledge that they have sinned, and they are sinners, but immediately add that it's not their fault. So yes, I am a sinner, but it's not my fault. And I have sinned, but it's not my fault. So really I'm not guilty. I haven't sinned then. It's not my fault. It's the wife you gave me, God. It's not my fault. It's the serpent. I haven't done wrong. Jeremiah 2 verse 35, Proverbs 30 verse 20, I have done no wrong, says the adulteress even after committing adultery. It's not my fault, it's a demon of lust in me. It's a demon's fault. It's not my fault that I get drunk, it's a bloodline curse, it's a generational curse. It's not stealing, it's kleptomania, it's some illness. Oh, the alcoholism, yes, I'm an alcoholic, yes, it's in my DNA, it's my DNA's fault. I was born that way. I was born homosexual. I was born transgender. Yes, homosexuality is not a sin. It's an alternative lifestyle. It's just another way of expressing your love. It's not stealing. I didn't steal it. I I just borrowed it. I would have given it back later on. Oh, stealing. Yes, it's part of my culture. It's a cultural thing. It's not stealing. Yes, my short temper. Oh, no, it's my French forefathers. You know, I've got French blood in me. Oh, these children, they just drive me up the walls. They drive me nuts. It's not my fault I get angry. It's the children. It's my dysfunctional home. That's why I committed adultery. It's because I grew up in a dysfunctional house. Yes, committed adultery. No, not my fault. I've got a poor self-image. No, it's not murder. I didn't murder the baby. I'm pro-choice. It's not murder. And you know, psychology is really good at this. They think up these big terms and big names and big words. and Many things that are sin, they just excuse. They say, no, it's just a mental illness. So sin is not something you do. Sin is something that happens to you. You're the victim and you can't help it. Now I'm not saying that Satan and demons don't tempt us. And I'm not saying that evil people and difficult circumstances don't have an influence on us. What I am saying is we should accept personal responsibility. If you don't accept personal responsibility and you keep on excusing your sin, you are misleading yourself. You're misleading yourself. You're calling God a liar because God says all have sinned. God says we are all sinners and you say that's not true. I'm not one and I haven't sinned. And the truth of God's word is not in you then. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So as long as you deny your sin and you excuse your sin and you blame other people, well, you're not going to seek for a solution in Jesus Christ. You're going to seek for a solution in better circumstances. And my circumstances just change, You're going to seek for a solution. I just need better people in my life. I need another wife. I need another husband. I need better children. You're going, to, you're going to try and find the solution in going to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor must break the curse. You're going to find the solution in drinking tablets. If I just drink these tablets, it will make me stop swearing. It will make me stop, stop stealing. Stop getting drunk. Stop getting anxious. Whatever else. Final statement number five. And that's in verse nine. True Christians confess their sin. Many Christians do not know how to confess their sins. This is, and, and then they do it in a wrong way. They do, it, they do it like this. If I did something wrong... Please, will you forgive me? Hmm. I'm sorry I shouted at you and lost my temper, but if you... And then immediately, actually, you know, it's not me, it's you. Sorry I swore at you, I didn't mean it. Really? You didn't mean it? Hmm. Strange. Why do we do things we don't mean? You know, I'm sorry... I was a bit upset. I was a bit unhappy. Why not just acknowledge I was angry? I, I didn't want to do it. You know, it just happened. Do you mean like, um, like the golden calf that just happened to jump out of the fire in Exodus thirty-two, verse twenty-four? All people confess like this. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? That's not what the Bible means when it says we need to confess our sins. To confess literally means the Greek word to agree, to say the same thing, to acknowledge. So you agree with God. God says in his word it's stealing, then you agree it's stealing, it's not kleptomania. God says in his word homosexuality is sin, then you agree with God. God said says in His Word, it's adultery, then you don't say something else. You agree with God. You confess your sin. Because if you keep on excusing your sin, well, then you're not going to ask for forgiveness because you're excusing. You don't need forgiveness. You're not wrong. You won't ask for forgiveness, and then you cannot be forgiven. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, not if we say in verse 8, I have no sin, or verse 10, I have not sinned, but confessing it, verse 9. If you keep on excusing it, you will not prosper. He who hides his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will obtain mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. Now, the question comes, but hasn't Jesus already forgiven me? Because of his death on the cross, and the moment I trusted in Christ, and the day I was saved, he forgave my sin. So verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Why do I need to confess my sin then? Well, yes, your record has been cleaned. So the sin is no longer on your record. Jesus washed it away with his blood, and he's accredited, he's credited, he's God has credited his perfect righteousness to you. That's true. 2 Corinthians 5.21, but he needs to cleanse your heart. Yes, so you're justified, but you're not perfectly sanctified yet. So he needs to keep on cleansing our hearts, and one way he does that is by we confessing our sins daily and repenting of our sins daily. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And now I'm confused, but what what about unconfessed sin? Well, God has made provision for that, for sin that you did not realize you did. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Leviticus 4 speaks of sacrifices for unintentional sins. Psalm 19, verse 13 speaks of unintentional sins, hidden sins. So the blood of Jesus, verse 7, cleanses us from all sin. But, but the, the normal way of doing it, verse 9, is confessing your sin. So that brings you back to the cross and it reminds you God does not accept you because you had a good quiet time this morning or because you did some good things. God doesn't reject you because you sinned today and because you didn't have a quiet time. God accepts you through Jesus Christ. So thank him for it. And even pray that way and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm accepted because Jesus has washed away my sin. Jesus died for my sins. And because you've clothed me in his righteousness. Thank you. In verse 1, chapter 2. I'm writing these things that you mustn't simply believe anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Thank you, God. And don't think you need to earn God's favor by doing stuff. You know how it works. So you sinned yesterday. And now you feel terrible and you feel so guilty. And what do you want to do? You want to now put in some extra time of Bible reading. And extra, some extra good works to try and balance out the sin. That's not how God works. Simply confess your sin. Simply confess your sin. And say, I have no other hope. My only hope is because of Jesus, verse 7. And that's why I do verse 9. I confess and trust God will forgive me. How do you know that? How do you know? How do you know God will forgive you? What if he's like Allah? Allah who just forgives when he's in the mood. If he's in a bad mood, then he won't forgive. How do you know he's going to forgive you? Well, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. God is faithful. God can't lie. God has promised to forgive you if you confess your sin. He will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west, trample it underfoot, cast it into the depth of the sea, blot it out like mist before the sun. He will remember your sins no more. And then not only is God faithful to forgive you, He's just to forgive you, verse 9. So He's just. So He has punished Jesus in our place, in the place of all those who repent and trust in Christ, and all who will repent and believe. So he won't punish us for the very same sin. He's already pretty punished Christ for that sin. The record of death that stood against us is nailed to the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he forgives us through Christ. So he's just. And therefore he will not punish you, but he will forgive you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And then it goes even further. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So so confessing your sin it's not it's not a mere formality. It's not some formality you want to get done and you you have to do this thing. Something really happens when you forgive, when you confess your sins. God really cleanses your heart. When you confess your sins in your quiet time or at the Lord's table. When last did you do that? When last did you confess your sin? How often do you confess your sins? And that, that's a mark of a true Christian. A true Christian confesses his sin. Why? Because he wants an open relationship with his father. He wants to live in fellowship with God. You don't, but you, you don't want to be like a like a rebellious son who for years and years and years is just separated from his parents and he doesn't talk to them. And, and even if you are that rebellious son, even, even if you are in a far country, you have... Backsliding. you have turned away from God you are in the far land of sin why not come back today why not do verse 9 today and confess your sin and you'll be forgiven let's pray our father in heaven have mercy on those who are in a state of backsliding And they need grace, Lord, and forgiveness. And draw them to you. Or even those who are lost, and they are even those who are the false Christians, they're not the real deal, they're not the real McCoy. I pray, Lord, that you would give them everlasting life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that you would encourage those who are true Christians but are doubting their salvation. That they would have faith in you and believe your word to be true. Amen.